Today's Happy Healthy You podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash happy healthy you. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. And this week as we celebrate Veterans Day, and also we just finished up our midterm elections, I think this subject is an appropriate one. It's one that I'm really happy to bring to light on this podcast. It's the subject of how we live in competition over cooperation and how it can lead to violence and war. Now, Maybe this isn't something you've thought a lot about, but it's something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And it's not to say that this week, as we celebrate Veterans Day, that our servicemen and women are not to be honored and celebrated for all of their heroism and and their gracious defending of us over the years and helping us maintain the freedoms that we cherish in our country. But rather, the conversation is that we have, for eons, been playing a deadly game that for me to win, you have to lose. And this is a mindset that has affected us personally, socially, culturally, religiously. And as our guest today says, it has been the curse of the human race since Cain killed Abel. My guest today is Philip Kingsley Smith. I'm so happy to have him on the podcast He was born in 1929 in Toronto, and he's lived quite a life. He was enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1947, and his service took place during three wars, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, correct? Oh, I have to interrupt, yeah. I began after World War II. I was still in high school. You were still in high school during World War II, but it was during the war, and you enlisted in the Marines. You obtained your Master's of Divinity from Virginia Theological Seminary. And when was that, Kingsley? I graduated in 1956 after my active duty service in the Marines. And he was the rector of Trinity Church in Towson, Maryland from 1969 to 95. That's a long time to be a rector. I'm sure you saw many baptisms and confirmations and funerals. And he's also the author of many, many articles in so many publications, the Maryland Church News, Baltimore Sun, Anglican Theological Review, the Journal of Bible and Religion, and he's won many awards. He's married to his lovely wife, Breezy, and together they have four children. Thank you so much, Kingsley, for coming on the podcast to talk about this subject. Can you tell us a little more about your background and how it has affected your thoughts on the subject of cooperation over competition? Connie, thanks for asking me. Going back to the 1930s when I was growing up in Toronto, Armistice Day, November 11th, was very solemn. Canada paid a big price during World War I. And I remember my Boy Scout would muster down to City Hall on that morning, and at 11 o'clock, the whole city was, went absolutely quiet for two minutes. It was a stunning experience every year. And we pondered the fact that we had saved the world, we thought, for democracy, and yet uh, the terrible cost in uh, people, soldiers, civilians, was horrible. We wondered, there must be some other way. The United Nations tried, and as we feel, see now, fail. Then I was in high school during World War II, which was a very bleak time. The, world, the war actually started in Canada in 1939. 
but it ended just before I graduated from high school, so I did not serve. Instead, while I was at college, I entered into an officer cadet program, and I, I learned after a while, but even trained as a platoon leader in the U.S. Marine Corps, that meant not only did I swear that I would serve to honor and protect our country against enemies foreign and domestic, but that I would be in a position of risking my life and then of ordering other people to risk their lives and to take other lives. It happens that I did not actually serve in combat during all those years in the service, but it was an impressive time in which we really did not question whether armed forces were necessary, whether there was an alternative, because the World War II was such a clear good guy, bad guy situation for us. And that really went on even through the Korean War, where we were fighting against the the enemies, right. the communists, and thought we were containing, and I think perhaps we probably did contain the Chinese and Russian aggression. It, the TV series MASH pretended that everybody was really rethinking their morality of the Korean War. That didn't really happen, but it did happen with the Vietnam War. When in the 1960s, the new generation um, was growing up as independent-minded and when they said, hell no, we won't go, they meant the draft. It also meant we won't go to church or we won't go, <laughs> we won't go to college if we don't want to or whatever. And that was a change, but especially it raised the question of whether we can justify force, whether it's police force or military force or just human bullies, parents, priests, teachers, whatever, uh, can use that kind of win-lose game which, as you say, I would characterize as really not in the order of creation. It's God-forsaken and ungodly, and yet we practice it all the time out of our own selfishness. So when did you first notice this stirring that there was something amiss or something that we could perhaps do better in your life? It came when... really to me during the Vietnam War. At first, it looked like another campaign like Korea in order to contain the communists, and then we saw that it was a very bloody war and we were not accomplishing very much. We'd, we certainly lost that war in the sense of having to give up all the territory. But when the Vietnam veterans against the war became uh, evident, John Kerry was probably the best known of those, who had actually fought and been wounded often in our service, had done their duty, no question of that, and then had come to, back home to say, I wonder if this is what we really ought to be doing. Is there not a better way? Um, and that made me think more f fully as a chaplain. I served as a chaplain in the Naval Reserve, mostly with the Marine Corps unit here in Baltimore. Um, I was concerned about the troops and their, the men and women in service and their families. It included this certainly build up in my own feeling, making many, many casualty assistance calls to the families of men killed in action. Uh, many of them... Uh, had no real church connection, so I ended up doing a lot of their funerals. Still, it was ministering to the, those who had died and to those in their families. But now I was wondering whether we should recast our whole concept of mm -hmm. using violence to stop violence, whether there might be a better way. And it was about that time that I discovered the work of René Girard, who was a great anthropologist uh, and very knowledgeable about uh, religion, primitive and ancient and modern, 
in which he makes a lot of good comparisons and insights into what goes wrong when society decides it has to purge itself of its scapegoats and using uh, forms of violence to make sure that that they are protected from any, any kind of invasion or cultural assimilation or something like that. What um, does that mean, Kingsley, purging itself from its scapegoats? The best example in, in people's minds right now is the Nazis choosing the Jews to be scapegoats, not only Jews, but primarily Jews, and succeeding to a large degree for a long time, for 10 years. Uh, this was what made Germany so strong at the expense not only of the Jews of Germany, but of their other of our other other enemies. <clears throat> um, the concept of scapegoat is one of the things that Gerard wants to make very clear, and that is what we do is we take something that is really valuable and destroy it in order to please whatever gods there may be, or simply to show our power uh, that we are capable of that kind of devilish generosity. Um, you may know the story of um, the Rite of Spring, which Stravinsky adopted for that famous and not notorious ballet. The whole point of this ritual of spring that goes on in the primitive time in Russia is that it ends with a great dance, a kind of a musical chairs dance, in which one of a group of young women is selected to be the victim and is then destroyed by the others so that the crops will grow, so they'll have peace, so their enemies will um, not have to be able to take over. And that kind of scapegoatism occurs again and again in a very low levels, even at bullies in a, in a schoolyard. They call play yards, in which can be war yards, really, if you're being bullied uh, for some people to declare their superiority. Mm. So it's just, yeah, we we do see that manifest today in yeah. in bullying. Where does this mindset, where as you go back in history, where did this mindset begin? Do you think? I mean, it's it's su such an ingrained part of our mythology, and um, yeah, where where do you think it began? Well, I say that the myth of Adam and Cain and Abel, or even for that matter, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve chose to try to be better than God by um, eating the forbidden fruit. But interestingly, the Cain killed Abel because Abel's sacrifice as a hunter was more pleasing to God than Cain's as a, har as a harvester. And so the, it, it was a kind of a harvest festival. A religious event was the source of what we call the first sign of um, this kind of destructive behavior, the ungodly game. For you to win, for me to win, you've got to lose. The Hebrew Bible tells the story again and again. I did a class once on the genesis of, of violence by using examples of violence in the book of Genesis, uh, beginning with Cain and Abel. And so again and again, um, in which the stories collected under the uh, in, in Genesis and the other books of the Hebrew Bible, uh, again and again show how diabolically tempting it is to win over other people. Uh, and at first, 
we see the stories as truly historical accounts of the war of Israel trying to establish its own independence, like you know, American independence or any other independence mm-hmm. movement, uh, and using vicious tactics in order to win, and of course saying this is what God calls us to do. Uh, the, of course, the, the ancient Jews are not the only ones to do it. You know, the phrase Deus Volt, God wills it, was actually coined by the Pope in order to send Christians off for the Crusades. Mm. In effect, they were saying, kill a Saracen for Jesus. And so modern jihads on the Muslim side, like ISIS, for instance, is clearly uh, struck with the same disease. Um, The metaphors, however, that grew out of these historical images are very powerful because it became a concept of, of good against evil not only within groups, but also within each person, that we are at war with ourselves. Anne Lamott has made popular the wonderful phrase, we are not punished for our sins, we are punished by our sins. Mm -hmm. And so if we choose violence, as Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. It seems so obvious. It does. does. Then how do we stop using our swords? How do we sheathe them? The answer seems to be by understanding that a lot can be done not only without violence, but specifically nonviolently. Um, I think of it in our own times of Mohandas Gandhi, my own time, not yours, mm-hmm. um, who was not a Christian, of course, but who was followed Ahimsa, the pacifist, nonviolent way. And although there was a lot of violence as the aftermath, nevertheless, independence for India was won without direct violence against the colonial power, Great Britain. Uh, Martin King never used violence and never suggested it. He did all he could to avoid violence. And there's no question that he was the hero of the current civil rights movement. And more recently, Nelson Mandela, although he would not t- promise that he would never use violence, never did. And what's even more impressive is after apartheid was destroyed, he did not use violence against what had been their enemies, but rather, along with Desmond Tutu, the archbishop, he had a program of truth and reconciliation rather than punishment. Walter Wink, who's a popular uh, theologian, has made a lot of examples of how this sort of thing is played out in modern political life, nationally and internationally. I think the another aspect besides the military is police force. And right now, America is re-examining a lot about our attitude towards the police and the use of force. You know, armed force, police force. How do we live with these things if we say we endorse them and we think they're important? With I would say with great difficulty. This is only uh, one of the things we must learn is that we need to have our force contained to the point where it is no longer physical and eventually no longer the kind of moral bullying that we depend on so much. And it occurs cycle after cycle of our lives, in, even in scholastics. You know, who's going to get the high grades and who gets the honors societies? And in business, competition is good as long as it's under control, but without going into political issues directly, we know how out of control it can become. Mm-hmm. Law is based literally on a competitive value uh, of win-lose court trials. There, 
the, the force that comes into play is carefully controlled, we hope, by law, but we know how easy it is for that to be overlooked or reversed. Uh, after all, slavery was perfectly legal in this country until 1860, and Jim Crow took its place for a long, long time, and if we look at ourselves carefully, race relations still remain very much of a win-lose game, um, and clearly that's not God's way, not the way we're made to be. When I say God's way, I don't mean that you have to be a Christian to understand this, because I think it's in the nature of the human race, the way we're built, and that it really is the story of creation, that things are born, and then they mature, and they reproduce, and then they die and pass on, and that is a creative order, and the center of it is reproducing, I guess, which is mm -hmm. a cooperative venture, or should be. That's why rape, is such, a, yeah, <laughs> rape is such a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. That makes a, a punishment out of what should be a joy. So is peace a viable economy? Because I think, you know, you talk about these different uh, successful nonviolent campaigns with Gandhi and Martin Luther King, and, you know, they were somewhat successful. However, to sustain that kind of a mindset, we really have to have an economy that is based around peace. I mean, do you believe that peace is a viable economy, and what, what would that look like to us? Well, we know that, that um, communism did not work as an yeah, economic system. Mm -hmm. um, it was too naive about how easy it would be for people to get along, um, and instead it ended up with communists having been responsible for probably more violence than any church ever was or any religion. People say, oh, religion is a source of all violence. Well, communism went to work as a non-godly, atheist organization, and it was equally violent. How do we do this? We, we have competition, that's all right, as it is in, in sports, as long as it's very carefully controlled, mm -hmm. understood to be in the context of a cooperative society. We've had a lot of problems with competitive sports in recent years now. We're recognizing the fact that the violence, especially the violent sports, lead us to celebrating force and power and pain. We pay football players for injuring opponents in the National League, Football League. Even the non-competitive, non-violent sports like golf can get pretty vicious. Mm -hmm. But it's the, it's the comp competition that is brutal, that's got to be looked at, as long as the rules. Now, the rules try to control that, but they don't always succeed. And I think we need to relook at a lot of competitive sports, and there is such a thing as called the new games, which are non-competitive sports. I mean, golf is not competitive, except you're against yourself. Right. That's pretty good. We play against ourselves. Yeah, play against right. ourselves. But uh, and so far, we haven't had many cases of violence breaking out on the greens. So it's just, I don't know. There's some golf clubs that end up in the lake that, and, yeah, right. <laughs> and being yeah. broken. And, but, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I know. I kind of feel like when I play tennis, I, I, have, I have a little bit of a hard time being competitive, but I love to play. And when I'm out on the court, I will do my best to win because I enjoy the game and the sport. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of what you're talking about. It's not that I'm out there to prove myself better than my opponent necessarily, but... So that's but that's how wanna, you win. That but, is how you win, though. But I do want to be a worthy competition. Yeah. I find myself going, oh, I'm not good enough to play with her. Maybe, I don't know, there's so many voices in my head, and none of them are really competitive. So, 
Yeah, well, just so while you're playing the game, you remember, realize that when the game is over, you shake hands, you go off and have a cup of tea or a beer or something together. Exactly, they're, they're, exactly. A, yeah, University of Maryland played Penn State last week, and there was there was an issue with the guys on the one of the teams not shaking hands yes. with the other. Yes, that's so, really toxic, isn't it? Yes, yes. So where do we go with this? What did the um, spiritual masters teach about this that we can take from that and maybe try to reevaluate this, the current system that we live in to try to try to make things a little better? You know, uh, Gautama Buddha and G- Mohandas Gandhi, who certainly uh, were strong proponents of nonviolence, Ahimsa, uh, were not Christians because I think everybody can recognize and have revealed to them the importance of cooperation as simply the existence and survival of the human race. But for Martin King and for myself, uh, Jesus is the best example because we see him as completely nonviolent himself. Some metaphorical language uh, may come through, but that's not the same thing as, as put away your sores, as Jesus said. We do not use violence. All four Gospels have very authentic episodes in which Jesus says and shows, put up your swords, do not use violence. We must never, ever take action against others, no matter how powerful or let alone how weak. The Sermon on the Mount I see as a collection of really profoundly simple statements, common sense and common decency. Unfortunately, both of those are pretty uncommon, especially both of them together. But Jesus taught these things uh, in a way with rather joyful. Uh, he was happy about it. And I, for us, the final example of this is Jesus on the cross, suffering the most humiliating and painful and violent and violent death imaginable. They couldn't have done much more than they did. Uh, and this was a political and religious ritual they were putting him through mm-hmm. to get rid of this, to make the scapegoat of this troublemaker. Uh, blasphemer and troublemaker. And yet, we seem to experience the fact that even on the cross, Jesus was with God. He, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Um, And that is the power of nonviolence, finally to overcome by turning the other cheek, overcoming the automatic response to strike people on one cheek and then the other. Do what you can. You cannot own me. You cannot control me. This, I believe, is unique to Jesus in the way he taught it and lived it and died for it. But I also think you do not need to be a Christian in order to grasp this. Mm -hmm. It should be common sense and common decency to say, instead of fighting, let's get along. Can't we all just get along? (laughs) It's a good step forward. It's really the golden rule. The golden rule is, um, it's very hard to follow. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as it sounds. So it's a good start. And in fact, if you think, well, I'll do this for you if you'll do that for me, is that's not quite good enough either. I will be nonviolent even if you are violent. This is what made the difference with, with King and Gandhi and uh, Mandela. And this, I believe, is the way that we can un- unravel this terrible turmoil we put ourselves in. Well, why did God make us to be violent? I don't think he made us to be violent. I think we have chosen that because he made us free. 
and we are free to, to go wrong as well as to go right. Otherwise, there mm -hmm. wouldn't be real freedom. We're not animals, let alone machines. And so we've, we've messed up our free will. Mm, yes. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because I do believe putting messages like this out into the world can contribute in some small, tiny, little, minuscule way toward peace, because I do believe peace is my ultimate goal. But I also believe that peace starts within. And if we're, we're looking at this grand concept of uh, living in a world that is not so much competitive as it is cooperative, what are some small steps that we as individuals, which is where this peace starts, can take? What are some small steps that we can take in our everyday life to sort of live this and, you know, maybe create a little bit of a ripple effect out there? Well, on the expressway, you might <laughs> yield when you don't have to yield sometimes, mm. uh, to everybody's surprise. <laughs> Here we live in one of the most, one of the worst areas for traffic in the country, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. And uh, sharing what we have. I don't think any grandparent has ever regretted spending money on a grandchild for Christmas. Mm. It's just a joy. There's so much joy in the giving there rather than uh, bargaining. You know, if you do this for me, then and only then will I do this for you. No, uh, we do what we want because we like, uh, like to delight people. Or as Mark Twain said, it's always nice to do a good turn. It's so People get so surprised when that happens, uh, but pleasantly surprised. And you don't expect to, uh, you know, Santa Claus does not, expect a thank you note. Isn't that great? <laughs> thank goodness, yeah, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> I know him a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just be kind to one another. Pay it forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, just small gestures go a long great way, don't they? Pay it forward. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to the bullying in school that we we mentioned earlier on. What can a parent do in that situation with this in mind um, to work with their children and perhaps the their community at large about a subject such as bullying. Well, of course, there's always the need to notify the authorities that it's going mm -hmm. on, but that's sometimes hard or embarrassing to do. Oh, mom, please don't do that. Don't tell me. Right. Uh, to our attention to the child. Mostly it is sounds like kind of a wimpy approach, but it's not really saying let it go. Don't give anything up, but just let it go. If somebody is teasing you, then that says a lot about the person doing the teasing, about their inadequacies, their feeling of shame or, or sorrow or whatever. Who knows what's going on in their lives? And there's no way you're going to stop it directly, meaning violence with violence, is everybody loses at that point. It's when you say, I'm not going to play the game anymore. Mm. It's a godforsaken game. And you try to tease me into reacting, I'm not going to react. I think that would... I think children can learn that. Even little children can say, oh, let it go, Harry. Um, maybe he doesn't mean it. In any case, it's not going to do hit you any harm. You know, sticks and stones mm -hmm. may break my bones. Um, we all learn that in the kindergarten, don't we? We used names to. Will, na we navels, used to. Names will never hurt me. Of course, they could be painful. But <laughs> no, no, I think that, that helping children realize that they don't have to fight. There are times in which the enemy is at the gates, the border is being violated, you know, the tigers are invading the town. We have to use some kind of force to stop 
But the doctrine of, of just war has a lot of sense to it. We have to see there's no alternative. We use as less, least amount of violence that is absolutely necessary. But one more thing I always add to that usual list is, and whatever we do, we feel bad about it. Mm. If we've had to bomb cities in Germany in order to end World War II or drop atom bombs on cities in Japan, we feel bad about it. It's terrible that we got to that situation. And what instead of just wallowing in guilt and sorrow for what's happened, now let it never happen again. And with the atomic energy, the ultimate form of bullying, mm. so many violence, so far at least uh, we've kept the lid on. Now, if we can do the same thing with small acts of violence, relatively small, terrorists and so on, rapists, bullies, we can do it. It can be done. It, it starts with identifying the problems, which is what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And to see, oh, I'm, I never do anything bad. I'm always doing everything good because I'm a proper room doobie. Do be all day long. Nah, that, mm. <laughs> that is a little misleading. I remember romper room. Oh, yeah. 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 A lot of these kids don't. But, yeah, doing the right thing. We, we don't always choose the right thing. Well, you say violence is always wrong. So if we choose it, we better be clear as to why we use it and how we can stop it. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Kingsley, so, I hope we can continue this conversation because this is a huge one. If you guys have... Uh, suggestions for us about how we can continue this conversation, please come to our Facebook page and join in this this illuminating conversation because it's um, it's really sorely needed now, isn't it, Kingsley? I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about this subject. Thanks, it's it's uh, good to be here. Yeah, I think there's a lot more we could say, but yeah. um, we'll just let everybody else join in the conversation so keep calm keep cool (laughs) keep calm and carry on right yeah thank you so much thanks so much for listening to happy healthy you and just for you guys, the Happy Healthy You listener, Audible, the awesome audiobook people, are offering a free 30-day trial to give you the chance to check them out. I always have about three audiobooks going at once. I listen when I'm driving. They're great on long trips, when I'm running, or just hanging out at home. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash happyhealthyyou. Hey, you'll also be helping support this podcast. So thanks. Thanks.